You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Third down inches to go. Defeater. 17 to 14. Cowboys out in front. Star begins to count. Takes the snap. He's got the quarterback. 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 He's Oh, yes, nothing more uh, comical to me than two grown men acting like a, a couple of Girl Scouts on stage, uh, throwing open hand slaps around and getting their feelings hurt, you know. Uh, and, it, I, you know, I didn't watch the award show, but, you know, the way I look at it, you, you can't get mad at a clown for acting like a clown. You just got to stop going to the circus, right? And uh, it's just funny watching two overpaid people act the way that those two guys did and watching Twitter overreact was uh, even more hilarious to me. Um, you know, the old saying, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. It's 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 funny watching people who get paid to lie for a living um, make complete you-know-whats out of themselves on, on national TV, which, I mean, from what I've heard, there wasn't many people watching anyway, but um, it just kind of shows you where our society is, especially as, as grown men, um, throwing slaps around and tearing up over it and acting like a bunch of idiots. You know, I think Frederick Douglass said it best when he said it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. That's kind of where we're at as a society. But with that being said, <laughs> what a what a week we've had. Welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore Access. And guys, we're going to get into uh, some, some good stuff today. We're closing in on the draft, right? And um, we've got some uh, a little bit of news that came out. You know, we got a signing with the Packers, um, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. I don't think it's anything huge. I've heard a lot of people talk about it being a, a you know a big transaction, and this is great. You know, a great addition to the defensive line. But uh, I really didn't see it that way, um, and that's judging off of the information that I have. However, um, anytime you can add depth, that's a good thing. But we're going to kind of kick the show off with a little bit of Packers news. We had the NFL meetings in uh, in Palm Beach, Florida today, or this week rather. And um, Matt Schneiderman actually put out a tweet. Those guys had a, a little bit of private access to GM Brian Gutekunst. And, uh, you know, they were talking about Jair Alexander. And Matt Schneiderman put a tweet out that said, he said, does Brian Gutekunst uh, want to extend Jair Alexander before the season. And he said, quote, we would love for that to happen. Certainly we've been in communication with his representation and will continue to be as we go through the year. Um, to me, that's kind of underlining that I think they're going to wait until they get a little bit later into the year, um, You know, just like he said. Um, I think it it's a, a great tactic that the Green Bay Packers use from time to time, especially on those second contracts. You know, Jair obviously coming off his rookie contract. Um, those second contracts, what I've always noticed is they tend to get those contracts done either before the season starts or right after the season starts. And uh, I think that's really a, 
a tactic they use, and I think it's uh, it's being very smart as a front office, that you want to get the player kind of in motion into the season. And once they start putting in the work and they realize, I could get a huge pay increase right now if I sign this deal. Um, it also removes any risk for injury, you know, because there's going to be bonuses and things like that involved um, in the new contract. And it, it just seems like that risk becomes a little more real as they step into um, you know, full contact football. So I, I kind of like Green Bay's approach to that. Now, some people would say that it, it backfired with Devontae Adams. I wouldn't completely disagree with that. Um, you know, I talked about it on past podcasts that it, it kind of felt like that's what happened with Tay was last year he wanted a contract and the uh, the front office was playing a little bit of hard ball. He didn't like the offer. He felt like he should be compensated a little a uh, little bit better than that. And, um, and that's what led to uh, – Basically, the uh, the deterioration of that relationship between the front office and and Devonte Adams. So um, we kind of I, I bring that up because we've kind of got that going on right now with Jair and a few other players. Um, and I think that it, it it being the second contract and Jair being so young and in his prime, it's never going to get to the point that it did with Tay because you're talking about a receiver being 30 years old and wanting to sign a five year deal with a bunch of guaranteed money. That's a whole different ball game. So. One other thing that got talked about at the uh, the NFL meetings in Palm Beach was uh, was just talking about Jair's health, and you know some of the guys were asking, you know, are you concerned with Jair maybe playing that slot role coming off that shoulder injury? And it's a valid question, you know, it's not something to just poo poo. Like you got a guy that if he is going to be playing the slot, we all know that he is somewhat of an edge defender against the run where a lot of teams are already, you know, using that 11 personnel as their base personnel, right? Um, the majority of the time, they're in three wide out sets. And if you got Jair playing the slot, that's someone who's going to have to creep down in the box and play the run, especially with some of these RPOs that are uh, that are in the league now. And it's, it is a concern for someone's shoulder, you know, that's going to have to get in there and, and lay the pop or maybe take on a lead blocker. You never know that, you know, he could dip in, beat beat the wide receiver, um, you know, to the punch, beat the wide receivers block, but then you got a guard pulling, you know, on a power play or something, and you got a 320-pound guard or a 300-pound guard that's that's aiming for a, uh, you know, a, a, obviously a smaller defensive back, and if he's got a, a bum shoulder, that's going to get relit um, very, very, you know, very uh, quickly. So they asked him about that, and Gudikins did say, that he has no concerns whatsoever with Jair uh, being able to play in the slot because his shoulder injury is completely healed. So that's a good sign. Um, I don't think that Brian would come out and say that if it weren't true. I don't see any kind of advantage you would get there by claiming someone is healthier than they actually are. And uh, also, you know, what we've learned with Brian Gutekunst is he's done a really good job of creating those relationships with his players and uh, and coaches to the point where I think that he would lose, you know, they would lose a little trust. They would, it would backfire a little bit if he were to say something along the lines of, you know, him being fully healthy and he actually wasn't. You know, I'm sure Jair wouldn't appreciate that. So um, I believe that I take it for exactly what he said, and I think it is something that uh, that is not going to be an issue moving forward. Now, with that being said, we will move on to the signing. We had defensive line. I hope I'm saying the name right, Jerron Reed. Um, he's going to be basically depth at defensive tackle, and it's on a prove-it deal. And I like this signing because it does add depth. But I've heard some people across the across the league and across the Packers media talking about how um, this signing is going to be 
you know, it's a great signing. He's a he's a very efficient pass rusher and all this. And I'm looking at the PFF grades and I'm going, okay, they're they're making it sound like this guy lived up to his first round talent, and I just don't see it. Now, where I think there's value there for the Packers is obviously it adds depth behind Dean Lowry, and it's actually going to create a competition between Dean Lowry and Jerron Reed, right? And um, I think that two things happen there: you create you create that uh, that competition, that competitive um, atmosphere, both in practice and and as you get into you know real time games. And also, you're adding that depth, and he is a big body, someone who can play play nose tackle, and that's kind of what he did effectively. Um, I say effectively to a certain extent, you know, with depth with the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, I like the signing, and especially for the price, it's a prove it deal. You you know, you got like I said, going to create competition, and on top of that, he's he you're going to get 110 percent from Reed in this in this deal because you know he knows he's playing for another contract. If he has a ball-out year with the Green Bay Packers, then he's going to have a market this offseason in free agency. So I like it. I think it's a good signing. It also allows us to be a little more uh, loose in the draft to where we don't necessarily have to put as much emphasis on drafting a defensive lineman. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of guys, and, and I've actually mentioned it too, we've talked about how we think that this would be a good draft for the Packers to draft defensive linemen. And main, the main reason was, to the best of my knowledge, there were only five on the roster. And you like to go in with at least six, in my opinion, six guys who can play all three of those base 34 defensive line positions. You know, obviously, when you're in the nickel, you only need two of those big bodies in the middle. Um, but when you are getting into a base 34, maybe even a, a heavier bear set, you're, uh, you know, you're going to want those guys that can eat space. And, and now they don't have to go out and have to reach in the draft to make sure they fill a need. And we all know in, pa- in the past it's not been an issue because salary cap was never a problem. Well, now we're kind of up against the gun to a certain extent. Um, it, it's not as bad as some people are making it out to be, and it's darn sure not as good as some people are making it out to be. You know, the truth always lies somewhere right there in the middle. And uh, I just think it, it puts them in a little bit better spot. They fill another void, and they're going to continue to fill voids as we get closer to the draft, I believe, with these cheap signings, these prove-it deals. And that's what it's going to come down to. So um, that was the the Reed signing. And uh, just some dates that we got coming up. I, I always like to mention dates because, you know, in the past I've been listening to podcasts, and I'm going, okay, what does this all mean timeline-wise? I'm a very, very melancholy person. Um, I, I like to kind of know what's coming up and how the dates are going to fall into place. But um, starting April 4th, clubs with new head coaches will uh, will be able to begin their off-season workout programs for those players that are going to be participating in that. So that's exciting. That's right around the corner next week. You're going to actually see some players reporting and uh, and new head coaches kind of getting to jump on the competition. Then on April 18th, all clubs can begin off-season workout programs. And I think it's important this time of year to, to start to put those programs in place because as soon as the draft's over, you want to get those rookies in-house as soon as possible. And and now with the new, you know, the CBA and everything that was signed, uh, you know, several years back, with the rookies being slotted in with contracts, you don't have those contract holdouts. Um, it's very, very rare now because it's kind of slotted in. It's just the details of the contract that has to be worked out. Watch me say that in our first round pick will, will uh, or first uh, first or second round pick will hold out because they, they don't like the, the verbiage or the wording on the contract. But let's hope that don't happen. But by April 18th, all clubs will begin their off-season workout program. So those programs will be in place so these rookies can step right in. 
And then, of course, April 28th, the NFL draft. I'm fired up for the draft, guys. Um, we have done a ton of research. I know the Packernet Podcast family, we've been behind the scenes and, and just listening to the guys and the information that they're sharing back and forth and how they look at the draft. I mean, we might have five or six guys having a conversation about the draft, and we all look at it from a little bit different angle. And, man, I've already learned so much from those guys, just being in those those uh, smaller settings on, on, you know, group chats to where I can go, wow, you know, I never really looked at it that way. You know, some people put a lot of emphasis on PFF. Some put a lot of emphasis on RAS score. Some people are like me. They, they like a blend of both. Others, they like the consensus big board. Um, and there's been a – it's funny because everybody has now kind of morphed into that combing through the later uh, projected round picks and going, you know what, this guy right here is kind of popping to me. And, and there's a few gems in there, I feel like, that are really starting to stand out as all the information is compiled and rolls in. So the NFL draft is going to be awesome. Uh, again, that's going to be April 28th, um, that first round on a Thursday night. And I'm absolutely fired up for it. So I wanted to kind of do a quick refresher of what we talked about in the past. As far as some weak spots on the team. And uh, the weak spots on offense, in my opinion, are at center with Myers. Um, having a 54.9 PFF grade last year. Now, obviously, as coming off his rookie year, he's going to improve that number. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. But why not, if you if you have a guy that's in one of the, your top tier, maybe your top two tiers going into the NFL draft, uh, that you could pick up another center. Maybe Myers has enough versatility he could slide to guard with as big as he is. You know, he's an oversized center anyway. Or maybe he pulls it together and you still just draft for depth. Um, but that was definitely a weak spot on offense for the Packers last year. Also on the offensive line at guard is Royce Newman at a 55.7. Um, again, like I had said in the past, I don't list tackle as a weakness because I feel like Elton can play right tackle. However, if we get into that first round and we have a top-tier talent at tackle and you can draft him and leave Elton at left guard or maybe even slide Elton to center, a lot of people forget, and I think it was Ryan or someone talking about it on a podcast earlier this week, um, You know, talking about how people forget Elton Jenkins was actually a center when he was drafted coming out of college. Now, obviously, people knew, scouts knew this guy can play multiple positions, right? But he was a center in college, so he could slide to the center position. There's a lot of versatility there with Elton, and I really don't think that that a lot of people place enough value on what he brings to the table as far as that versatility. I mean, there's so many things you can do on that offensive line. We just got to make sure Elton's healthy, and we know chances are – there's a good possibility he won't he won't be completely healthy for the start of the season. So we really need some depth there at offensive line. And the other uh, weak link, as far as PFF grade goes, was wide receiver Amari Rogers at 60.5. But what we had seen in the past, and Ryan did a great job of talking about this the other day, talking about you know players that are really really huge. Uh, role players for the Green Bay Packers now, um, they kind of their rookie year started off in the 60s as far as PFF grade. So that's kind of a good sign. I came away from that podcast being a little more encouraged about Amari Rogers. I was never the guy saying, oh no, he's he's a bust. You could tell already. Never would I do that. But, it, you know, just seeing how other players have started, I would not be surprised one bit if Amari Rogers jumps up to the low 70s this year as far as PFF grade. If we have him at depth in the slot with he and Cobb, you know, kind of working together with that role, um, and he jumps into the 70s, 
then that's going to tell me that Aaron Rodgers had a really good year spreading the ball around. Now, on defense, you had linebacker Chris Barnes at a 52.7, and you had Darnell Savage at a 58.4. I did have uh, Jamar Jean Charles, um, you know, as a weakness, but obviously we re-signed Rasul Douglas, so that's now been wiped off the table. I don't look at cornerback, nickelback as a uh, as a weakness now. It's just linebacker Chris Barnes, 52.7, free safety Savage at 58.4. I think the next lowest player would have been Stokes, and he, again, his rookie year finished in the 60s, which is a good sign that he's on track to jump into that 70 range as we step into this year. So um, with that being said, that's your weak spots. Two offensive linemen, a wide receiver, linebacker, and a free safety. That doesn't mean that's all you're going to pick, but take multiple swings at those positions. If you miss on one to, from a sense, sense that they're not going to be an immediate contributor, then you pop them on the backside with depth and let them learn, put them in the hopper, and let them kind of grow as they move forward. So um, that's the weak spots on the team. Now we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to kind of jump into the wide receiver position and talk about how that may be affected in this year's draft. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I was listening to an awesome podcast uh, earlier this week, and they had a guest on uh, Mike Tannenbaum, um, who was actually with the New York Jets for a little while as a general manager. He's worked in and around football uh, most of his adult life, and uh, someone that was very well-spoken, and it was really cool to see uh, Greg Cosell interact with him on this podcast. And it's actually on Tapeheads. If you guys haven't heard of that podcast, it's a great, great one to listen to outside of Packernet Podcast. And, um, you know, he talked about you how they have two boards. And they brought him in for his perspective from the front office and how do you guys set up draft boards. And it was very, very in-depth conversation. But one of the things that stuck out to me, and, and I already knew this, 
but hearing his angle and explaining why he did it was was really really cool um, he said you have two boards one set by overall talent and the other set by need so more or less what you have is a board that's set by these are the best players in tiers because what you guys have got to understand that teams rank prospects in tiers you'll have a top tier then you have the next tier, next tier, next tier, so on and so forth, right? In that top tier, that means these are elite talents. These are guys that we think are the best of the best in this draft. There may be one player in that in that tier. There may be 20 players in that tier. That depends on the scouting department and how deep the class is. We're hearing this class is extremely deep, right? Um, obviously, it's real light on quarterbacks. Well, now there's some rumors starting to surface that there may be two, three quarterbacks taken in the first round. It's amazing how how it started with there's going to be no quarterbacks taken in the first round. Now, all of a sudden, there might be two or three. Of course, we don't know. There may be smoke signals being sent out. You know, Teams are bluffing. They're trying to get other teams to overspin on, on draft picks and, and, you know, and kind of approaching it that way from a little bit of an espionage standpoint, right? And that's what makes the draft so exciting. But um, with that being said, with the two types of boards, guys, the perfect storm and what you're looking for in a great pick – is when you have available a top-tier talent at a position of need. When those two boards line up perfectly and you go, okay, the best on the board is this player here at X position, and that is one of our top needs. We need to go get him. That's when you see teams climb up the draft board, um, give up a little bit of compensation, trade up and get that guy that they want. Not necessarily because they think this guy is just an absolute gangbuster. It's because it's the perfect storm. It lines up exactly with what they need, and their scouts are saying, they're standing on the table screaming, this is the guy that we want to fill that void, right? So you only trade up for top-tier talent, in my opinion. That doesn't mean the very top tier. That means the top tier at the moment. There's never going to be a time where I feel like a good GM or a good front office is going to trade up to get someone who isn't in their t the, the top current tier. What I mean is, let's say the top tier talent is completely gone. Now you're down to the second tier. That second tier now becomes the top tier on the living board, right? Well, if, if you get to the point where, you, okay, we need a cornerback. Well, the best cornerback available is two tiers down. You're not going to trade up for that guy. I'm sorry. That's what you mean. That's what executives mean when they say they draft by best available on the board, right? It's not necessarily because it's a position of need. It's because maybe it doesn't line up at this moment. Let's trade back and then maybe hop back up when it does become the top tier available. So with that being said, quick recap, the draft picks we have available for the Green Bay Packers. In the first round, you have the, the 22nd overall pick. In the first round, you have the 28th overall pick. In the second round, you got the 53rd and the 59th pick. In the third round, you got the 92nd pick. In the fourth round, you got the 132nd, 140th picks. Fifth round, you got 171. No sixth round pick. In the seventh round, you got three picks at number 228, number 249, number 258. So what I wanted to do, and I thought this would be a really cool exercise, is I pulled up PFF grades for wide receivers. Wide receiver is the big talk right now. I personally agree with J.J. Leahy in a sense that, guys, we might want to think about drafting offensive line over wide receiver. A lot of people are freaking out right now at the sound of my voice and hearing that. What do you mean we would take an offensive lineman over a wide receiver? What I mean is, of needs, we said we need two offensive linemen and one wide receiver 
on offense. That doesn't mean we won't draft a tight end. It doesn't mean we won't draft, you know, other positions, right? Hell, it doesn't even mean we won't draft a halfback, right? You never know. If there's a halfback available that's in that very, very top tier of talent, and you could say that guy right there is a slam dunk number one running back in this league, and you're in the third round and somehow he's still available, yeah, you take him, right? Because that's a top tier talent. But when it comes to wide receivers, what I wanted to kind of point out, and really I wanted to study it and look and see and say, okay, of these players that were drafted in the last two years, what are the top performing wide receivers and where were they drafted at? And I feel like that's going to give us a pretty good gauge, you know, a two-season saturation of what are the best receivers and what position were they taken at. It'll show us just how versatile the draft can be and how we can fill those voids. Not necessarily it has to be in the first round. Although, with those two first-round picks, if there are two top-tier talented wide receivers, I'd say spend both of those first-round picks on those. Only if there's not an offensive lineman in that top tier, too. I think a perfect scenario, a perfect storm for the Green Bay Packers this year would absolutely be that when they made that 22nd pick, assuming they're not going to trade up, right? Assuming they're not going to trade up in that top tier uh, of talent, they look up and go, okay, there's three offensive linemen in the top tier and two wide receivers. With our 22nd pick, we're going to take one of the offensive linemen or one of the wide receivers because there's less of them than there are offensive linemen and then as the picks fall when they get down to that last player in that position of need that's still in that top tier now's the time to pull the trigger on a trade and jump up and make sure you get that guy now it gets real fun when you start to really study other teams and know exactly what it is they need like I'm already eyeing the New England Patriots because I know they're looking to draft a wide receiver if indeed a wide receiver is in their top tier of talent pool, right? So I already know that's a team we're competing with against a first or for a first round receiver. Another team is the Kansas City Chiefs. All of these things come into play and are very, very important when it comes to the draft. With that being said, here are the top performing wide receivers last year that were in the 2021 NFL Draft. So these were rookie receivers last year, okay? Jamar Chase came in at number one. He was drafted in the first round, the number five overall pick. He had an 85.3 elite PFF grade off the freaking charts, okay? Number two, this may surprise you, the second highest graded wide receiver in the NFL last year that was a part of the rookie class was defense, was the, the, the Detroit Lions wide receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown. That's why, right, you know, EQ's younger brother. He graded out of the 79.9, and he was drafted in the fourth round, pick number 113. The next highest graded rookie wide receiver, Jalen Waddle out of Miami. 78.3, and he was drafted in the first round, number six. Devonta Smith comes in next. He was drafted in the first round, the number 10 pick. He graded out of the 77.7. Next would be Elijah Moore from the New York Jets. 71.2 was the grade. He was drafted in the second round, number 34. And then you had Rondell Moore, a second round pick, number 49 who was drafted to the Arizona Cardinals, he graded out at a 70.7. Okay, so let's recap, guys. The wide receiver class last year that graded the highest in PFF was the number five overall pick, number 113, number six, 
number 10, number 34, and number 49. The two numbers I want you to key in on is number 34 and number 49. Do you understand that if we were to have drafted Elijah Moore or Rondell Moore, right, in the second round, they would have had the highest current wide receiver grade of any Green Bay Packer receiver on our roster right now. Those are second round picks, guys. So you're probably thinking, okay, well, that was, you know, that's just one draft. Let's move on to the 2020 draft. Okay, so understand these players are now in their second year in the league, right? So these are players that that were in the 2020 class, and they are now kind of, so to speak, in their sophomore year last year. Coming in at number one was Justin Jefferson. He was a first-round pick at number 22. If you guys remember, it was rumored, it was actually reported by um, some Packer media that Brian Gutekunst confirmed that Justin Jefferson was their top-tier pick. They were going to take Justin Jefferson. When he got nabbed at number 22, that's when they decided to trade up and get Jordan Love, right? So Justin Jefferson was off the board. The receivers they they wanted were off the board already. What's that tell you about Jordan Love? And I, I absolutely love this. It tells me, personally, from reading everything that fell into place, knowing the Packers, quarterback was not a position of need, right? So the board definitely didn't line up with position of need. That tells me that Jordan Love 100% hands down had to be a top-tier talent for the Green Bay Packers scouting department. Now, whether you agree with that or not, one thing I think we could all agree on is they know a little more about scouting than we do, right? I sure know they, they, they definitely know more than I do. I'm, I'm just a redneck from Tennessee, born and raised in Kentucky, can barely read and write. Not true, but you know a lot of people think that that's actually the case. But anyway, they seen Jordan Love as a top-tier talent, so they hopped up and got him. I would love for them to have been able to get Justin Jefferson, but he was already gone. So it kind of reassures me that Jordan Love probably was a top-tier talent. And the fact that he's getting to sit and mature behind Aaron Rodgers is just, I, I couldn't think of a better situation, a better scenario. But this isn't Jordan Love talk. We're going to get back to the receivers. I just thought that really stuck out to me. Coming in at number two in the 2020 draft was C.D. Lamb for the Dallas Cowboys. He was a first-round pick, number 17 overall. He actually went higher than Justin Jefferson. He performed uh, this past year at an 84.1. Back to Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson performed at a 90.1. That's elite PFF grade. Okay, C.D. Lamb also elite at 84.1. Again, he was the 17th overall pick. Coming in third is T. Higgins. With another elite PFF grade, 83.4 for the Bengals. He was a second-round pick, number 33 in the draft. Fourth on the list is Gabriel Davis out of Buffalo. He was a fourth-round pick, pick number 128. And Gabriel Davis actually came in at an, an elite 81.5. Actually, not elite, but very, very good grade at 81.5. Okay. Next, you have Michael Pittman, Jr., um, second round pick, number 34 out of Indianapolis, um, another solid pick. So, quick recap, the numbers I want you to key in on are T. Higgins, he was in the second round, number 33 overall, Gabriel Davis, fourth round, number 128, Michael Pittman Jr., second round pick, 
number 34, in their sophomore seasons, they all would have blown the competition out of the water as far as the Green Bay Packers wide receiver room right now. Also, what I want you to understand, guys, I'm not sitting here saying that our wide receiver core is as bad as the media is making it out to be. I think Amari Rodgers is going to make a big jump. I think Alan Lazard in a, in a number one role where the ball's not being forced to Devontae Adams is going to, I, I think he's going to thrive. I've been on the record. If he stays healthy, what I see with Alan Lazard is an 80 catch, 1,000 yard season. I really see that. I believe it with everything in me. Amari Rodgers and Randall Cobbs splitting, you know, slot snaps. Right now, what we need is a couple big-bodied receivers that can play the outside, maybe play a little boundary, and uh, I think they're off to the races. Now, I would love to see the stars align to where the NFL draft board, you know, your your top tier of talent are wide receivers, and we we grab those guys that they absolutely love. I love the idea of taking multiple swings. I think good teams do that type of thing. I think they do it in free agency, and they also do it um, in the draft when it comes to. Uh, trying to fill a, an immediate need, the more swings you got, the better. And keep in mind, too, that as you draft these players later in the draft, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be much cheaper. Four-year contracts on backup salary or backup cap hits is just that's – what, that's what I'm most interested in when it comes to the Green Bay Packers and their, uh, and their current cap situation and just moving forward. So I say all that because, um, yes, we have two first-round picks – you know, we could have used those two first-round picks for any of those players that I just mentioned, and it would have been worth the first-round pick. But if you can get them in the second, why not? It's all going to come down to, guys, how the draft board falls. And it's not a sexy way to talk about the draft. Fans do not want to hear that. They don't want to hear anything about how the board the board falls because they just they just want you to go up there and grab that Justin Jefferson. They want to. They want you to go up there and and grab that Jamar Chase, right? You know, I had heard earlier that if the Packers bundled up both, I think if they bundled up the the number twenty two pick and a second round pick, they could get within the top ten, right? You know, if it's a player you really like, I wouldn't be opposed to that. But at the same time. Of these players I just listed off, if your scouting department is really that good, if your front office has done their homework and they know they've been able to differentiate, you know, which wide receivers are going to be solid players at the NFL level, what I would rather you do is lay back, don't trade up, take multiple swings, and get the guy that you know is going to make a, a big difference. Um, I, I just see... When I look at these names and then I think about the wide receiver class that we've got coming in this year, um, I could I could see us landing players like this later. You know, you give me Elijah Moore and you give me T. Higgins. Um, I've never been a big T. Higgins fan, but the PFF grade suggests that he had a great year this year, 83.4. If we had an 83.4 second-year wide receiver um, on this roster, he's the number one wide receiver most likely. I just want the Packers to get away from quote-unquote number one wide receiver talk. I want the system to be able to come into play. I, I want the smash concept to be able to unfold in a game rather than keying in on one player or giving a signal at the line and trying to change, you know, okay, yeah, we see that they're playing bump and run. Let's let's go back shoulder down the side. I want to see what's drawn up on paper in the meeting room come to fruition and and actually be able to go through the progressions 
and allow these uh, these awesome plays that Matt LaFleur does an excellent job of designing to play out. It worked perfect in the playoffs against the 49ers. When you see Alan Lazard crossing that field wide open, the play worked to perfection. Devontae Adams was was Devontae Adams was to run a post deep down the field, draw the double team, and knowing that the 49ers are in somewhat of a preventive defense where they don't want to give up big chunk plays in this situation, they're playing over-the-top technique, which allows Alan Lazard with the route combination underneath to come free across the middle on a deep dig. And when you see that type of stuff unfold, it's why are we not utilizing that more, right? It's because Tay was on the roster. It's because his buddy Aaron was trying to get him a big payday. I'm not knocking that. They had a heck of a year. I mean, Tay was the arguably the best receiver in the game last year. He's a huge reason the Packers had the success they had. But when it comes down to big games, you know, a lot of people in the past, I think Pat Kerwin actually coined the phrase that when the game's on the line, think players, not plays. I completely disagree with that. I mean, yeah, if there's no other opportunity, if, if everyone else is covered, yes, I understand going to your playmaker. But in that situation, if Aaron had read the play out and not been zeroed in on Devontae Adams, he would have seen Lazard underneath. That's one example, guys. I've watched football. Like I said, I watched every snap of the Packers football three times last year and, and the year before, believe it or not. There's plays where receivers are open and he's not checking it down because he's really zoning in on one or two guys. MVS was another guy he liked to do that with. And you could see the connection just wasn't there. When when MVS signed with Kansas City, I was somewhat relieved because all I could think about was how many deep balls they missed down the field. And what it told me was Aaron's footwork was off, his timing wasn't in sync. That's why he's missing that receiver on that deep play. Why is, it, why is he not in sync? Because he's trying to freelance a little too much. I really hope this is the year that they mold this offense around what Matt LaFleur wants to do and and doing it in a way that you still stroke the ego of the reigning MVP and allowing him to have input and um but doing things the way they're supposed to be conceptually um on the field when it comes to how plays are diagrammed to work. Um there's just so many spot plays, so many dagger plays, so many things that they can do where there's going to be receivers who are, if a receiver, in my opinion, grades out a 70 or higher, heck, even a 60 or higher, it wasn't like Lazard ran an excellent route to get open on that play. The concept is what made that play work. And the fact that there was a double team being drawn from Devontae Adams. There's not going to be any more double team. What I think you're going to see more of this year is too high man, and they're going to force the Packers to run the ball. And that's where the offensive line picks in the draft are going to be huge. If we get a big mauler, whether it's at right tackle or at guard, um, that can really come in and help boost the running game. With A.J. Dillon and be able to add some some versatility with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon on the field at the same time, especially the fact that we're weak at the wide receiver position. Um, you add in a wide receiver draft pick that you can get one of these top-tier talents because they're saying it's deep. My board isn't finished yet. But what I have noticed looking at the board, there are several wide receivers that I feel like are going to be available in the second round that I go, wow, they can make a big difference. Pierce out of Cincy is one that I've been watching a lot of tape of and listening to Greg Cosell just absolutely drool over that I'm really, really excited about seeing um, just how far he falls. I think he's starting to catch some buzz now that he's going to go a little bit quicker, but that's a player to keep your eye on. Um, 
you know, I'm hearing Drake London a lot here lately. Big body receiver. Um, you know, someone who can stretch the field. Not a huge fan, but if he falls in that top tier, so be it. You know, um, you know, a lot of people are thinking right now, a lot of Packer fans are listening to my voice and they're going, yeah, but all it takes is one injury and that guy's down. That's why you take multiple swings. You don't know who's going to be injury prone. There's no way, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals didn't draft Jamar Chase knowing he was a stud. You guys remember early in the year how many passes he was dropping? It's amazing how we forget about those things. Like, I, I remember going into week one, week two, and thinking, wow, Jamar Chase is probably a bust, and Joe Burrow really messed up, you know, putting his neck on the line and saying, I want that guy on my team. Next thing you know, they're in the Super Bowl, and Jamar Chase was a human highlight reel the entire year, right? Nobody knows who that guy's going to be in the draft as far as us fans. But I guarantee you the Green Bay Packers have done their due diligence, and they know exactly who's in their top tier. As they finalize the board, we got a couple other pro days coming up from what I understand. I think, uh, let me see what today is. Yeah, I believe on the 30th um, there's going to be another pro day, and they're still finalizing their draft boards. But uh, what I would suggest is get your draft board together, man. Be a part of this conversation. Be a part of the Packernet Podcast community to where you can listen and not only listen along but give feedback on Twitter. Guys, that's why we give our Twitter handle out. There's probably somebody listening to my voice right now, and they're sitting there thinking, oh, they don't want to hear from me. The heck we don't, dude. Throw them out there. Hop on PFF or hop on hop on Draft Network and, and do a mock draft and tag us in it in a tweet. Man, let's throw, throw ideas around and get ready because when we do our draft day coverage, guys, what we want is you guys to be a part of it. Not only do we want you guys to tune in and kind of see what we think the picks are going to be and you know where these prospects land in our tiers and all that, but we want you to be at home with your desk set up, your draft board set, and you following right along. That's what I'm excited about. Um, you know, the beautiful thing about doing podcasts like this, and, and obviously you guys know, most of you have heard me from episode one. I'm only, what, I don't know, six, seven episodes in. The thing that I love the most about what we do with podcasting is it's just a whole nother level of sharing information with each other. And our fandom just continues to grow. It's not to get on here and try to sound elegant or try to sound like we know it all. It cracks me up how some podcasters, they, they when someone interacts with them on Twitter, if they disagree, they go straight for the throat and they act like, you're below me. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know that you don't know. Get the heck out of my face, dude. Like... The, these guys aren't the experts that they claim to be, and I'm darn sure not an expert. And what makes this whole thing go is the fact that as a Packer fan base, we're together and we're sharing this experience you know, with one another. It's going to be awesome. Get your draft board together. Get ready to, to, to hang out with us for the draft. And, and like I said, give us feedback, man. Give us, give us picks. Give us information. Um, you know, Jacob, who's a part of our Packer, Packer Net uh, podcast community, you know, our, our team rather, um, he's threw some stuff around. I'm like, oh my God, Goose the same way. Goose is the same, same exact way. He's, he's sharing information. I'm going, I didn't really look at it that way. Oh wow, I had no idea that guy's RAS was that high. Holy cow. Um, it's just a lot of cool things that come out of it, man. I don't know if you guys can tell. I, I'm like a, I'm like a little kid before, you know, the night before Christmas, right? I'm, uh, I'm ready for the draft to get here. And what's funny is as soon as the draft gets here and we make our picks, now it's through training camps right around the corner. Um, the you know the the schedule is going to get released. It's it's just a good time to be a a football fan in general and a most like or most most importantly a Packer fan. So anyway, thank you guys for uh, for tuning in. Sorry about that little that little tangent there, but I just I think it's important for people to know that you matter uh, as Packer fans. It's not just the the guys that are 
doing podcasts or actually have access to the team or you you might be a Packer fan listen to my voice and you haven't you've never been to a Packer game it cracks me up how people say oh you're not a real fan if you haven't been to a game at Lambeau don't listen to them because you're as much a Packer fan as anyone else who's season ticket holders you know that's what's that's what makes it great about our fan base is how spread out they are. Like the guys in England, it's just I don't know, it's just a cool fan base. But anyway, I just think it's important to know that, that your opinion matters and your time's valuable. We certainly appreciate you tuning in and listening to us. And uh, hopefully this information tonight kind of got your gears turning. I, I just thought it'd be a cool little exercise to look at what happened the last two drafts and see how those players have produced on the field as far as PFF concerned and uh, and just kind of see how these things may unfold for this draft. Because I'm telling you, there's uh, there's some of these late-round gems that are sitting out there. You know, they are. Um, I, I look at Amon, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. That really blew me away with his grade. Fourth-round pick, and he was the second-highest-graded rookie wide receiver last year. How would you like to nab that guy in the fourth round, right? Sounds like we got the wrong St. Brown, am I right? But anyway, um, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Um, always appreciate your time. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, like I said, at Packers underscore access, at Pack underscore daddy is, is Ryan's uh, Twitter tag. Also search for JJ Leahy on there. He's got great stuff. You can find Goose on there as well. And uh, give us some feedback, man. Comment. Uh, make fun of us. All you, you know, Whatever you want to do with the information we got and our opinions, that's what makes it fun. But uh, appreciate your time. As always, guys, have a blessed evening, and go Pack Go.